Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. So even if you know nothing of basketball, you still have probably heard of Michael Jordan. But while you've probably heard of Michael Jordan, you've probably never heard of this person, Lenny Bias. Lenny Bias was also a fantastic college player. Lenny Bias was a first-team All-American college basketball forward at the University of Maryland. In his first year of university, he led the Atlantic Coast Conference in scoring and was named the American College Player of the Year. In his final season at college, he led his team to a victory over top-ranked North Carolina. And by the end of that year, he got his second um, college, American College Player of the Year award. By the end of college, NBA scouts were so impressed by his leaping ability, his physical stature, his ability to create plays, that legendary Celtics scout Ed Badger said he may be the closest thing to Michael Jordan to come out in a long time. I'm not saying he's as good as Michael Jordan, but he's an explosive and exciting player like Michael Jordan. So why is it that you've all heard of Michael Jordan, but you've never heard of Lenny Bias? Both had amazing college careers. Both were amazing athletes. Both were top round picks in the NBA draft. Well, there's nothing more tragic than a wasted life. You see, the reason that you've never heard of Lenny Bias is that even though he was selected by the Boston Celtics as the second overall pick in the 1986 NBA draft, he died two days later from a heart attack induced by a cocaine overdose. He had great potential, but it ended up being wasted. He had a great future ahead of him, but it ended up being unrealized. What a tragedy. You see, there is nothing more tragic than a wasted life. I wonder, are you wasting your life? Are you wasting your potential? You know, we've been studying the book of Ephesians, and as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, we've seen that God has invested in his people a lot of potential. Chapter one, he has blessed them. Chapter two, he's raised them from spiritual death and seated them with Christ. Chapter three, he's revealed to them the mystery of the gospel that now the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles in the new humanity. Chapter four, he's called them to live out their new identity in everyday life. But as Paul comes to chapter five, he knows that even with all this new potential that God has placed within his people, even with all this new potential that we have, we can still waste it. We can still live a wasted life. I wonder, are you wasting your life? Are you wasting all of the potential that God has placed within you? So how do you avoid wasting your life? How do you avoid wasting the potential that God has placed within you? Well, in order to answer that question this morning, we are going back to Ephesians chapter 5 and continuing our series that we began last week called Awaken. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, Pastor Jeff called us to wake up and to move out of the unfruitful works of darkness. 
He reminded us of the importance of thankfulness and showed us how ingratitude leads us to being, to, to being open to the lies of the enemy. But what we're going to see today as we look at Ephesians chapter 5 is we're going to see that there are two ways that you can waste your life. Two pathways that if you walk down will lead to a wasted life. So what are those two pathways? Well, the first way that you can waste your life is you can waste your life by engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness. The first way that you can waste your life is by participating in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, what are these unfruitful works of darkness? Well, look down in your Bibles in verse 3. Paul spells them out. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints, as is proper among God's holy people. These unfruitful works of darkness must not even be named. Another translation says there must not even be a hint. Now, what are those unfruitful works of darkness? Well, the word sexual immorality in Greek is the word porneia, from which we get the word pornography. But this word is actually a word that encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses any sexual activity outside of God's boundaries. And what is God's boundaries for our sexual activity? God has set it up that sex is good when it's enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage. So anything outside of marriage is porneia. Viewing pornography, that's porneia. Um, having sex before you're married, that's porneia, sexual immorality. Having lustful fantasies about someone who's not your spouse, that's porneia. But Paul says, all impurity, the word impurity is moral filthiness. And he further modifies this by saying covetousness, wanting something or someone that is not yours. And so the unfruitful works of darkness is porneia, sexual immorality and lustful hearts. But this doesn't just, it doesn't just stay there. It also extends to our speech. Look at what he says in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, also it's wrong to devalue what God has said is very good. God has made sex and it's very good, but we can cheapen it through crude joking, through the way we speak. And so the first way that you can waste your life is by engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness is by engaging in porneia. But why will these unfruitful works lead to a wasted life? Well, firstly, they will lead to a wasted life because sadly, some people will hold on to sexual immorality and therefore forfeit eternal life. Look at what Paul says down in verse 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. <laughs> Let no one deceive you with empty words. People can say otherwise, Paul says. But let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Sadly, there will be those 
who choose to hold on to their porneia, a sexual immorality, rather than turning from it and receiving eternal life from Jesus. Jerry Lee Lewis is an American singer-songwriter who has been described as rock and roll's first great wild man. Here's a picture of him. He grew up in the south of the United States and he grew up going to church, as all good southern boys do. In fact, he was, in fact, he was the cousin of Pentecostal evangelist Jimmy Swaggart. And he also went to Bible college before he was kicked out. But he ended up writing in the 50s such songs as Great Balls of Fire and A Whole Lot of Shaking. Now, as we listen to those songs today through modern ears, they don't seem that bad. They seem quite harmless. But it's interesting, when you study Jerry Lee Lewis's life, you realize that his whole life, he's been conflicted. Because he grew up knowing about God and hearing about God and knows the gospel, but he doesn't want to let go of his lifestyle. And sadly, because of that, he will miss out on entrance into eternal life. What a tragedy. What a waste. But also, also, these unfruitful works of darkness will lead to a wasted life because that's exactly what they are. They are unfruitful. If you actually participate in these works, it will lead to an unfruitful Christian life. If you're participating in porneia, sexual immorality, what it will do is it will dry up your spiritual vitality, your intimacy with Jesus. And because you don't have intimacy with Jesus, you're not abiding in the vine, His power will not be flowing through you. The Bible will be boring Worship will be dry and your ministry will have no power. I wonder how many men, how many men, their lives are unfruitful because they have this secret world in which they view pornography and rather than being men who lift holy hands in prayer before the Lord, their hands are used as instruments of unrighteousness. You see, the first way that you can waste your life is by engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness. Heath Lambert, he tells this story about a man named Jamie. Jamie grew up in a nominally Christian conservative home. When he left the college, he was what most would consider a good kid, responsible and hardworking. But Jamie wasn't at college for very long before he became involved with a group of young men who introduced him to pornography. And Jamie loved it. He'd never seen a naked woman before and had certainly never had sex. Jamie loved porn because it allowed him to enjoy women who he considered to be out of his league. Porn was so easy and so, so much fun that JB couldn't get enough of it. At first he was shy about walking into a store to buy it, but he quickly got over his embarrassment. Eventually, he placed this huge bookshelf of porn in his living room. Any shame that he once had about using pornographic material was now gone. Well, several years later, Jamie met Alyssa. They enjoyed spending time together and started a serious relationship. Alyssa knew about Jamie's porn addiction, 
but she just assumed that porn was a normal thing for guys. She was a bit uncomfortable when Jamie asked her to watch porn with him, but she wanted to make him happy, so she forced herself to get used to it. Jamie and Alyssa eventually got married, and after their wedding, Alyssa was shocked at how quickly Jamie lost interest in her. Their times of intimacy were rare and never without the use of pornography. After a few years of this, Alyssa became disgusted. Jamie's porn collection had grown so large that it now encompassed their entire basement. He would come home from work, he would go down to his basement, and he'd spend hours in the basement. Well, eventually, Alyssa had enough, and she left Jamie. Jamie's now in his 60s. He doesn't have a job. He lives with his elderly father. All he does day after day is look at porn. He doesn't care about his work, his ex-wife, or his grown daughters. And he is a miserable sight to see. He is unshaven, has, is missing teeth, smells bad, and wears dirty clothes. Talking to him is near impossible, as it seems he doesn't even know how to have a real relationship with a real person anymore. That's a wasted life. The first way that you will waste your life is on the unfruitful works of darkness. Are you wasting your life? You know, sadly, as I look back on my life, I wasted my early 20s trapped in the unfruitful works of darkness. And I think there can be many men who waste their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s in the unfruitful works of darkness. Fruitful works of darkness. Howard Hendricks, I remember him once saying, as he sat be beside this guy who was dying, the guy turned to him and he said, the one regret I have in life is I never got over my porn addiction. What a waste. What a waste. It's a wasted life. But there is a second way. A second way that you can waste your life. And it's actually not as obvious as the first way. I mean, when you, when you hear about Jamie, that's obvious, isn't it? It's a wasted life. But this second way is not as obvious, and yet still, many of you might be wasting your life in this way. What is that way? Well, look down in your Bibles in verse 15. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The first way that you can waste your life is by engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness, but the second way that you can waste your life is by living in a foolish manner, by not looking carefully how you live, but living in an unwise way. And there are two foolish ways that you can live. First, in verse 16, you can be foolish by not making the most of your time. And in verse 17, by not understanding what the will of the Lord is. So first, you can be foolish by not making the most of your time. Look down in verse 16. Paul says, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Now this phrase here, the best use of your time, in other translations, they render it this way, redeeming the time. Now the word redeem, it comes from the first century in the slave market 
is that if a slave wanted to redeem themselves out of slavery, they would have to pay a price, a redemption price. And if they paid that price, they could then go free. I think what Paul is saying here by using this term is what he is saying is that in the past, we used our life for the unfruitful works of darkness. But now, now we need to buy back our time and use it for God. And in particular, he says, because the days are evil. Now in the Jewish mindset, the Jewish people thought that time was divided into two ages. The present evil age and then the age to come when God's kingdom would come about. And for Paul, as he thought about this, he considered himself as living in the last days since Jesus the Messiah had come, had died, had been raised from the dead, had ascended to the Father's right hand. We were now in the very last days before the coming of God's kingdom, before the day of the Lord. And so Paul says, we need to redeem the time because Jesus could come back at any moment. You see, how are you spending your time? You see, you mightn't be spending your time on things that are necessarily sinful or wrong, but in view of the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment, you might be spending your life on things that are trivial. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that it's wrong to spend your time on leisure activities. It's not wrong to go out to dinner with your husband or play a sport or have a hobby. You know, God knows that we are body and we are soul, and so we need activities that will help refresh our bodies and our emotions. But if all your time, apart from your work, is spent on trivial things in light of eternity, then that is foolishness. In particular, Paul uses, when Paul uses the phrase, making the best use of the time, I think he has something in the background of his mind. You see, over in a parallel passage in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, he states this. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And look at what he says, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think what Paul has in mind when he talks about making the best use of the time is that what could be a better use of your time than to promote the gospel, than to share the gospel? I mean, in light of the fact that Jesus could come at any moment, what could be a better use of your time than to use your time so that people's eternal destinies might be affected? I mean, when Jesus comes back and we go to heaven, we're going to then worship him for all eternity. But there is one thing that we can do now that we can't do in heaven. What is it? Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Christ. When Jesus comes back, it will be too late. And so if you're spending all of your life, all of your time on just trivial things, that's foolishness. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he writes this. He says, for me as a boy, one of the most gripping illustrations my fiery father used was the story of a man converted in his old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant. But this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. 
At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But get this, this is what Piper writes, but that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as the tears ran down his wrinkled face, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted my life. See, you can waste your life on the unfruitful works of darkness, but you can also waste your life by living foolishly, by not making the most of the time. God has given us this time to go and share His Word. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone give up their jobs and give up their leisure activities and give up their hobbies, but use your job, use your leisure activities, use, use your hobbies to promote the gospel and share the gospel. Make the sharing of the gospel the number one priority as you go to your workplace this week. That's the best use of your time. Given the fact that Jesus could come back tomorrow, what would be a better use of the time? The second way we are foolish, or you can be foolish, is by not understanding what the will of the Lord is. Look down in verse 17. Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Chuck Swindoll writes this, he says, Many people make it sound like God's will for our lives is some kind of fixed path that we can know and follow with certainty. So some people, they see the will of God as being this fixed path and they're freaking out about whether they are in God's will or out of God's will. Is it God's will for me to buy a, a red car or a blue car? And they, they freak out about that. Others, Swindoll says, have suggested that God's will is just and always is a complete mystery. So we should just make our decisions and do whatever we want and hope for the best. But both, Swindoll writes, the absolutely fixed and the absolutely free approaches to God's will will lack balance. You see, the truth is, is that much of God's will is revealed through God's word. Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Now, what is God's will for you? For you not to be conformed to this world, but for you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God. Paul says it exactly and explicitly. This is the will of God. That you might be sanctified. That you might grow in holiness. So much of God's will has been revealed in God's word. But it's really interesting it's really interesting that in this verse, the way that Paul describes the will of God is he doesn't just describe it generically, but he describes it in a very specific way. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. I think this goes back to verse 7 where he says, Therefore, do not be partners with them. And he's speaking about the sons of disobedience. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, I think what Paul is saying here is that the will of the Lord is that you live out your new identity and that you live each day with the focus that this day, I want to please the Lord Jesus. He is my Lord, and this day, the focus of my life is pleasing Him. It's a personal thing. I want to please the Lord Jesus, who's the Lord of my life, and walk with Him personally today. And it's foolish to have any other focus with your life because Jesus created you, and Jesus redeemed you, And you will one day stand before Jesus and give an account for how you used the one life that he gave you. So are you wasting your life? You can waste your life by engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness, but you can also waste your life by living in a foolish way, by not making the most of the time. And by not living each day with that focus to please the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want to please you today with my life. So how do you avoid wasting your life? Unfortunately, I have to tell you some bad news. You will all waste your life. You already have wasted your life. But there was one person in human history, who never wasted his life. And on the cross, people thought he had. (laughs) They said he saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? But he died on the cross for all the ways that we waste our lives so that we can come back to him and give him our broken lives And he can remake them. He can remake them. And this is what verse 14 is all about. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You don't have to live in the unfruitful works of darkness. You can come out. You can come out and come to Christ, and he will shine his love and his forgiveness upon you. You don't have to live a foolish life. You can come out. You can come out and he will shine his light upon you. Some of you are older and you're like, I've already wasted so much of my life. What's the use of doing it now? You you begin to get cynical when you you get older. Well, the beautiful thing that the Bible says is that he can restore the years that the locusts have taken. If you start now, It doesn't matter how you begin the race. It matters how you finish the race. You can enter into the presence of Jesus running your race, empowered by his spirit. So wake up, O sleeper, and let Christ shine on you. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you did not waste your life, Lord Jesus.
but you lived the life that we should have lived, a life of complete obedience to the Father, a life completely in your Father's will. And you lived a life of complete purity, not in the unfruitful works of darkness. And we thank you that you surrendered that life on the cross for our sin and our, our acts of rebellion against you so that we might be forgiven and cleansed and experience your grace and be renewed. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we bring to you our wasted lives, our broken lives right now. Lord, would you shine upon us as we wake up, would you shine upon us so that we might be that light that you want us to be to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name.